zone1radio.com. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Zone One Digest, the show of stuff, things, and people. I'm Stuart Hardy, a man with a degree in communications. Have faith in this country's higher education system. This week, we've got a load of stuff that I've cleverly altered, so when you play it backwards, it sounds like the words did you know they've changed the definition of the word gullible in the dictionary over and over again for the entire duration. Go on, try playing it backwards. You'll hear it. I dare you. To start out with, our lord and master, king of the realm of Mixcloud and apostle of the age of Twitter, to whom myself and my colleagues are merely currency to be bartered with, Matthew Layton with his London GP show, where he finds people with actual Wikipedia pages and everything, and annoys them until they agree to give him an interview, in which they don't make it clear how much he has had to annoy them in order to give him the interview. This one was with Captain Tony Harris, who long-time listeners may remember, victim of a car wreck in the Afghan desert, amputee and motorsport enthusiast, set out to embark on the Dakar, the most grueling motor race in the world. Well, it's finally come. Here it is. Let's hand over to Matthew for more. Facebook.com slash Hello, I'm Matthew, and this is London GP, your weekly dose of motorsport and music on Zone 1 Radio, the Mayor of London-funded community radio station for central London. This week, I'm talking to Captain Tony Harris of Race to Recovery. A couple of years ago, Tony came to 20 metres from the burning wreckage of his vehicle in the middle of the Afghan desert. Nine months after that, he took the decision to have the lower part of his left leg amputated. Today, he starts in the most gruelling motor race in the world, the Dakar. I'll be talking to him about it in about five minutes' time. Tony, how are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a very busy end of the year, getting everything ready and finalised for Dakar, but we're, we seem to be there and the team's raring to go. So the Dakar, tell us, um, what's it about, how long is it and just how hard is it going to be? Um, it's one hell of a race, it's been around for, for over 30 years now, originally started in Africa and, and since 2009 it's been held in, in South America and it's 9,000 kilometres in 15 days pretty much. Um, next year sees a, a change of route, it's going to start in Lima on the 5th of January and it tracks right down through Pisco and the Nazca area um, over into Chile briefly and then across the Andes, I think we're racing at about 4,800, 4,900 metres uh, across the Andes, dropping into Argentina and then uh, and then back across the Andes and, and finishing in Santiago in Chile on the 20th of January. It's, um, it, there's really no other race quite like it, I think, and to be part of this with, with four wildcats and a race truck is, is just truly astonishing. I think it goes a long way speaking volumes about our, not only our sponsors and and our supporters, but also about about the team and our, you know, my fellow team members who've, who've been with us for 18 months, two years now. Um, and creating a team from scratch has been one hell of a challenge, but it's been a challenge that's yielding, quite frankly, one of the most ultimate rewards you can ever imagine. Because um, that's one of the interesting things about Race to Recovery is, is the, obviously the link with your military career. And I should think watching the team that you're working with, watching for signs of illness with them, is, is probably something not new to you. No, that's right. In, in Afghanistan and Iraq and, and elsewhere, you, we used to have to particularly check for signs of heat illness, which again is something else we'll be looking for on the Dakar, given how long you're in a vehicle, the temperatures that we're going to face, you know, be upwards of 50 degrees in places, um, and, and that's you know, not including any of the engine heat uh, as well. So the, 
the idea of looking after each other isn't, like you say, isn't new to some of the team members, and I think it's something that that we're all very keen and careful to make sure we finish as strongly as we can by maintaining the simple things and doing the simple things well. Hmm. It's um, it's interesting because race to co- recovery, it was your idea, wasn't it, really, or, or, or partly your idea, and I think teamwork is very much a part of what it's about it's about being able to belong to something and to 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 work together to to excel i guess isn't it yeah absolutely um it's one of the key reasons why we set it up i think we all miss being part of a team and you're in your recovery which is frankly excellent support from the mod and the charities it's very difficult at times to focus on anything but yourself all the recovery is geared around supporting you and you getting better on your own which can be quite alien to us and, and I think leaves a, can leave a bit, a bit of a hole so having something where you can work as a team and also it has so many similarities with the work we did in the military anyway where we've got one common goal but people have different jobs and different roles in order to make that make, make, make the team succeed in, the, in that goal so at a personal level it's been absolutely vital to my morale and I think the morale of some of the other guys on the team to, to be part of this and it's been a really wonderful experience mm. but as an organisation I think some of the stuff that's happened to you this year it, it, it is amazing I mean obviously it, we talk about the physical feat and the logistical thing that is the Dakar but in terms of building an organisation some fantastic news and, and sponsors and, 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 and gifts that have been given to you I, I'm really impressed with that zone1radio.com London GP can be heard every week on zone1radio.com This is zone1radio Hello listeners, you're listening to Zone 1 Digest, the show where I leech off people doing the proper work and pretend that I'm making something worthwhile. I'm Stuart Hardy, a lazy hippie who's addicted to donuts and milkshakes. And coming up is a show about fine cuisine, in good taste, where they seem to be blissfully unaware of the many double entendres it contains. In fact, Ofcom have actually been in touch with us many times about the questionable taste of the programme. In fact, I've got a recording of a phone call they made late last year. Yeah, it goes on like that for two hours. Um, yeah, anyway, this week's one is called The Cheese Episode, and in it, Angel visited Borough Market in South Kensington to the Cave Ophromage to learn about the history of cheese making. Meanwhile, producer Vicky Ferron visited food blogger Julia Frey, and she made some traditional Russian cheese fritters, or Cyrenniki. So let's go over to In Good Taste now for more. Now, if you're looking for rarer cheese varieties which you can't find in your average supermarket, then the Cave au Fromage in South Kensington is the place to go. Angel Dutt went to find out what makes this shop stand out from the rest and ask some practical questions about how to keep cheese. My name is Tiago Coelho. I'm uh, one of the cheese uh, specialists at La Cava Fromage in South Kensington. What countries do your cheeses come from? Uh, we have uh, the best of uh, every country, French cheese mainly, but then we have a big range of British cheeses, Spanish cheeses, Swiss, uh, Netherlands, uh, we have uh, some Portuguese as well. Hopefully we're going to start to uh, get even cheeses from other countries. What's the best way to keep cheeses at home so that they can retain their shelf life and quality? 
First, it starts from where you buy your cheese. If the person who sells your cheese knows what he's selling and if he knows what he's telling to the customer. Us at Lacave, we know when a cheese is not mature enough, so we can tell the customer for the next three, four days, leave it outside the fridge. As soon as you start to see that it's actually completely ripe inside, you need to keep it in the fridge. If you want to have your cheese young, keep it in the fridge straight away, never outside because the cheese sweats and it becomes dry and very, very strong. And this is not what you want. You want to keep the cheese with the original flavor so you can enjoy the original character of the cheese. So always keep it in the fridge and remove it a couple of hours, depending the size. But if it's a, a normal camembert, uh, remove it a couple of hours before you enjoy it so you can have the true flavor of it. When people keep cheese in the fridge, it tends to dry out a little. So how can people counteract that? The, the problem is not actually the temperature. The problem is the humidity inside the fridge. Fridges in these, in these days, uh, they are very cold, but they are very dry. That's what dries the cheese. It takes quite quite an effort. It takes love. You need to care uh, about it. And this takes patience. The best way is to keep a Tupperware, a little box, a little container, especially just for the cheese, with a little cloth uh, underneath, always uh, not wet, but humid, with a few cubes of sugar inside because it's a natural preservant. And then the cheeses need to be wrapped in a wax paper that we provide to the customer when he's buying the cheese. If it's a hard cheese that you want to keep for a bit longer, wrap it in cling film and then again in this paper. But you need to check it every two days, every three days, if it's creating any mold so you can scrap it off and it keeps in the proper stage. If you have patience for this, yeah, in a little box with a few sugar cubes and it will last a long time. That's a useful thing to know to keep your cheese in perfect condition. You got cheese looking for a cracker. Now, cheese can also be used for sweet recipes. And so this week we have a special guest, Julia Frey, a food blogger from London who has perfected the recipe for a delicious traditional Russian breakfast treat. So we sent our producer, Vicky, to Julia's house in Eltham to learn more about this recipe and try a few herself. Uh, okay, well, our mixture is ready. So what we will be doing now is rolling the balls and um, forming them into patties and then we'll roll them into flour and fry. Cool, because this is really interesting because it's not like a pancake batter, is it? It's no. No, it looks more you, like whipped cream. It's, it's more like, oh, like cheesecake. Really, uh, what this is, is a mix of a pancake and a cheesecake. Nice. Yes. Mm. It's a breakfast cheesecake. Wow. <laughs> that, is, that sounds that quite is American. Sounds <laughs> <was> very American. <laughs> is it very American? Mm. Well, it is Russian. Yeah, it's Russian. <laughs> Who knew? I think people don't really know much about Russian cooking except... It's like, a borscht. Borscht. And vodka. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So I'm just going to put some flour on my board. Because that's what we will be putting them on when we're done. So now 
This is a very simple process and you're going to have to use your hands for rolling. Okay, so you roll them directly into a flower. So they're like little balls here. Right. And then you just press them, make them into a little patty. Mm -hmm. And just continue doing that until you're done. How many centimeters would you say that is? Uh, in diameter, yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say uh, make a ball the size of a walnut and then squash it down to make a patty. When you um, fry them, you do need to use um, just a regular vegetable oil. I usually use olive oil for everything, but in this case, you want oil that um, doesn't have any taste or odor, mm -hmm. just, just fat, basically. All right, let's do it. Let's gonna put the first one in because it seems hot enough. I love that sound. Mm -hmm. You want that sound because if you put something in it and it doesn't make a sound, it means that your pan isn't hot enough. So sometimes I just sprinkle a little bit of flour just to test it mm -hmm. to see if it's if it smells. Someoneradio.com. I can't believe people don't know about this. <laughs> when I made them again after years, when I found that cheese, I just couldn't believe that I lived without them for all these years. Mm. Have you made your mum these? Not yet. What do you, th do you think she'll kind of? Do you think she'll think they're as good as hers? Or oh, probably. My mom thinks very highly of my cooking, although she's the one who really got me into cooking. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason I cook now is because we always did it together. And I used to watch her. And I think that's how it always came natural to me because I was never afraid of just putting things together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they were really nice. I want a little sugar in my bowl. In Good Taste can be heard every week on zone1radio.com. This is Zone One Radio. Hello listeners, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Zone One Digest, the best of Central London's favourite and only community radio station. And now it's about to end. Where the hell have you been? I won't take excuses for tardiness. Before we go, we have just about enough time to squeeze in, for serious want of a better word, a special X-rated episode of London Life, where tweed-jacketed funny man Ian Hawkins visited 100% Nude, a private showing by Gorilla Galleries at the Daniel Libeskind space in Islington. Those of a nervous disposition, I must warn you, you are about to hear a lot about people's naughty bits. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned to all the great content coming up on Zone1Radio.com, and follow us on Twitter at our Twitter handle, at Z1Radio. Over to you, London Life. Zone1Radio.com it's Ian Hawkins for Zone 1 Radio. I'm standing outside the Daniel Lieberskind space, which is a large sort of irregular uh, building on the Holloway Road. You can't really miss it. It's sort of this huge, uh, I guess it's aluminium edifice made out of these bolted together triangles. Uh, it's an amazing looking building and, and you, uh, you, as I say, it's not the kind of thing one can easily miss. Although I did ask in the... Uh, Metropolitan um, University next door where it was and they didn't have a clue they looked at me like I'd got insane so I'm here for the 100% nude exhibition uh, and I'm a little bit concerned because I've taken quite a lot of care to choose my outfit for tonight and uh, you know made sure the collars and cuffs match and I can't help but feeling that clothing might be optional anyway 
Let's see. The mood of the crowd has got such that they've formed a very short, stubby queue with a lot of other people milling around, and there's certainly the, an atmosphere that they are demanding to see their, their grot. And we have been kept waiting in the cold for perhaps eight or nine minutes too long. Uh, and yes, the, the queues gradually is doing that thing which, which queues tend to do, which is starts off small and then gradually, gradually more and more people are attracted to it. And there's, there becomes a, a sort of gravitational pull as this sort of disparate cloud of people suddenly snap together into a, into a clump forming a sort of queue. Well, I have to say that I have decided not to uh, get undressed, partly because it's so, I'm still pretty cold. Um, but here I am in sort of the main room. Uh, and uh, there's a, a big pile of bricks with, I think, a lady underneath them. Uh, it's called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. It's a performance piece for two hours by Soma Dahuki. I don't know if it's the artist under there or someone else, but it's definitely a person under a big old pile of bricks. There seems to be music coming from upstairs, and I'm going to wander up. Um, and I wonder if any of the artists here are going to pick me out as a potential future model. Anyway, let's see. If in doubt, follow the music. by a chap called David Ajingo. It's called Thanks for Shopping. Uh, it's a chap with a carrier bag over his head, slumped on a... sort of punched on a, on a bar stool. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing exhibition. As I look around, I can think of all these pieces so, so beautifully hung. Uh, yes. Tony, uh, are you an artist here or are you a visitor or are you organising? Um, visitor, model, that sort of thing. So how long have you been modelling for? Ages, simply ages. How did you get into it? Um, someone wanted to draw me. Yeah. And it felt really good. <laughs> and I was like, anyone else? <laughs> Please. And then it carried on from there, really. So you just... Do you, I presume you get paid for it. You... Um, I don't have to. I mean, I just enjoy doing it. Yeah, OK. I mean, I've got friends who, you know, they draw me on a regular basis and I don't charge them. It's nice to be drawn. I just love it. When, when are you next being captured on canvas? Um, and do you, is this it all... week. Yeah, um, Friday, I think. Yeah. yeah. What day is it today? Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. Fantastic. Do you want to get a pick? Because I, the yeah. one thing I don't have is a pick with another with a, with a model. So, fantastic. Thanks very much indeed.
This is called um, Eliza Free Spirit Responding Number 5. Let me read you the blurb. Eliza Free Spirit, inspired by the tiny severed hand of a small child, a form model from Orange Newplast, and left clasping the handrail of the near-empty 88 bus from Falmouth late in the evening of the 20th of June 2011, Eliza Free Spirit was born. Since that time, Eliza has grown and matured, sometimes painfully, mostly with great joy, into the figure you see before you today. Exploring the various possibilities and limitations of life on the road, she is a five-centimetre-tall, joyful, new-plast character who is adventurous, exhibitionist, exuberant, supple, humorous and optimistic, or at least hopeful in nature. She likes to appear solo or in a group to form a site-specific installation. And there are these little, there are these little figures that are climbing up one of the wobbly walls here. Uh, and there's all, they're all different colours. There's purple and green and orange and red and yellow. And they're holding up a, 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 a big sheet to protect the modesty of the people in here. And they seem to be dancing around the floor and they're climbing up the walls. And there's a, about a dozen of them on a sort of six foot, eight foot square space, just uh, dancing in little plasticine figures. They're very sweet. They're very sweet. I'll have to get a pic. I think the only thing I can take a photo of here, I think everything else is a bit alarming. Zone1radio.com. London Live can be heard every week on zone1radio.com.